Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. It's a busy week in the sports world. Second round of basketball playoffs, hockey playoffs getting started, baseball in full swing. We just finished a Formula One race. Bet Online is the place to stop for all the odds, props, deals, parlays, and bets here in the month of May. Use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night. However, and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy Podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is May 9th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever you may be listening. We are going to be joined here today by Bob Nightingale, the Bob Nightingale of USA Today, joining us on the podcast. He's a big old baseball writer. And Bob Nightingale was kind enough to join us last week, it was actually recorded on Friday, to talk a little bit about Trevor Bauer, because Bob Nightingale was the one doing the initial reporting on the Trevor Bauer suspension, or at least by my case, the initial reporting, um, when a bunch of baseball people were reporting the suspension was handed out, some of the details of how you come to a 324-game suspension and things of those sorts, Bob wrote about last week. If you want to read all of what Bob wrote, you can check out the link in the description of this episode that has his story also, because his story and having his contact was the way that I reached out to talk about this story. And and it's really cool that Bob's joining us. Bob's a national reporter and goes on MLB Network every now and then and has a national radio show. Like, it's really cool that Bob Nightingale joined us to talk a little bit about Trevor Bauer. I also asked him some baseball questions at the end but most of it is around the Trevor Bauer stuff. And I want to talk about the Trevor Bauer situation now that we have a a full day's episode to dedicate to this story. Because similar to how we did the Deshaun Watson case, it's something that needs a a full-scale episode to break down deeper nuances and perspectives and talk about the morals and ethics of this situation and the legal matters behind this and legalese that we've talked about a bunch with Deshaun Watson and applies in this context to a former Cy Young award-winning pitcher whose career appears to be basically over at this point, regardless of whether or not the suspension gets taken down a little bit. It's a precedent-setting punishment based on the MLB's uh, domestic violence policy and personal conduct policy. So that is where things stand with that. And we're going to flip the order around today. We're going to have Bob join us first on the show to give a little bit of context and things of those sorts. And then I'm going to talk about it 
after our interview here today. So without further ado, let us welcome, for the first time onto the Take It Easy podcast, USA Today writer, National Baseball Syndicate, Bob Nightingale. All right, joining us here today on the Take It Easy podcast. I'm very excited about this interviewee. He is Bob Nightingale, Major League Baseball reporter for USA Today. Uh, He also hosts a radio show, and uh, Bob is doing a lot of reporting around the Trevor Bauer story. So I have wanted to reach out to Bob and see uh, if he wanted to talk about this, and thankfully he did. So, Bob, I, I appreciate the time today. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, so... You, you were the first person I saw initially reporting on it. I know there was other stories around it, but Trevor Bauer, for people who don't know, got a 324-game suspension from Major League Baseball for violating the domestic abuse and um, the, the joint domestic abuse policy for Major League Baseball. He You mentioned in your article, and I didn't know this, he's the first player of the 16 who have been suspended that is appealing his suspension uh, with the Major League Baseball Players Association kind of being put in a corner to, to back him as one of their representatives. Um, so just uh, what are some other details that people should know about this situation? Well, if he had reached a settlement, he probably could have got a time served already. He got paid during administrative leave, but that was about a, uh, about 99 games, I think. Uh, that he missed, you know, from July 2nd on. So he could have, if he set a settlement, he could have subtracted about 99 games from the 324. Uh, but he didn't want it. He doesn't think he should be suspended a day. So baseball said, okay, we're going to give you the uh, uh, the full two years. And, uh, you know, we'll see, in our, we'll see an arbitration hearing. You know, they knew he was going to challenge it. Uh, I think he would have challenged anything, to tell you the truth. Uh, so it should take place sometime in the next month or two. So in terms of the investigation for Major League Baseball, because the way for people who don't know, the way that the domestic violence policy works is that the commissioner's office is responsible for handing down punishments after the investigation results. Um, They didn't release the investigation results. So do you think that's something that either baseball will release in the future or it might get leaked out at some point? Because I found it interesting that we didn't get to see the results of the investigation that led to, you know, the largest suspension under any sports leagues, um, domestic violence policy. Yeah. They've never, uh, uh, revealed that before in any of the, uh, in any of the cases. So they're, yeah, they're not going to start now, you know, now could Bauer leak what MLB has. He could, I mean, could be embarrassing stuff too, but yeah, I mean, certainly MLB is not going to do that. And, uh, so, you know, it gets it, unless it gets leaked by, uh, you know, Probably someone on Trevor Bauer's side. I don't, I don't think that gets out. I really don't. As far as who they talk to, uh, you know, how many women and stuff like that. I mean, they've been doing investigation for, uh, you know, about nine, 10 months. So they've had plenty of time here. Do you think that there was something interesting about uh, how the um, after the results of the investigation came out, there was a, a third woman who came forward talking with the New York Post. And one of the things that was interesting is, in the investigation, I, I get, I assume that they talked to this woman and the fact that we know publicly kind of helps to support the assertion. I, I find it interesting that major league baseball hasn't um, you know, major league baseball comes down with the decision and gets near universal applause around the decision. And I think that 
this turns out to be a really interesting case with um, details that we don't know that probably went into the decision to hand down the suspension. Yeah, I mean, they had uh, talked to three women at least that were all pretty much backing what the first accuser said in San Diego. Obviously, her her testimony wasn't strong enough for uh, the district attorney's office in L.A. to press charges. But certainly, you know, there was a uh, she corroborated and so did the uh, two Ohio women, uh, you know, talk to uh, MLB investigators. So, you know, one was going to press a uh, charges or restraining order and then back off. Uh, I'm not sure about the third woman. So, you know, so far it, from their, the way they have talked and the way they've talk, spoken to, uh, is actually a Washington Post, is that uh, they kind of, you know, backed up what the first San Diego one was saying, just seemed like very similar testimony. Yes, I, I was sorry about that mess up there. I meant to say the Washington Post instead of the New York Post. Um, that, was, that was my bad there. Um, how do you think Rob Manfred is feeling after this? Because it was a long, drawn-out process, and he walks away feeling like they made a statement here um, that maybe they hadn't done in the past. I was surprised the other day to learn that Marcelo Zuna was back in baseball after his suspension. So how do you think Rob Manfred is feeling after this? Yeah, I mean, I think good that just they uh, set a strong example, uh, you know, stronger than what the NFL has done, and, you know, the NBA, <clears throat> you know, probably hockey as well. Uh, but yeah, just a uh, such a strong punishment. I mean, the you know strongest one by far. Uh, you know, if, uh, you know, out, outside some drug suspensions, this might be the uh, you know longest one since uh, you know Black Sox scandal in 1919 with the gambling involved. Uh, so, you know, for, for, for an active player, but yeah, I just say, you know, just, uh, we're not going to tolerate anything. We don't need, you know, police charges, uh, and knowing, you know, those 15 cases, a lot of times that charges were never, you know, filed by either the wife or girlfriend or, or whoever. So, uh, as soon as the police was involved, then the police kind of backed off and said, no, he wasn't, uh. You know, uh, I think it was his wife, you know, choking her. He, uh, he wasn't doing this. So they kind of, the original police report, they said, no, that's not true. So uh, I think that's why they, he got off on, on just time served last year, saying, well, since there's no, no other evidence, nobody said anything differently, we'll, we'll let him play. So how important do you think it was to, to emphasize that the fact that the San Diego woman's restraining order was denied was not an exoneration and more was a can't be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Cause I felt like that part has swayed the public discourse around this story quite a bit in the misunderstanding between what that restraining order meant. Yeah. And I think just cause it was uh, one woman and not three, you know, who knows if there's, if there's more out there uh, that we don't know about, but yeah, it's just a, uh, you know, the whole thing is like, how can you kept in contact with him? How come you kept? How come you saw him a second time? Uh, in the third Ohio, in the second Ohio woman, so the third woman that we know about, she says they dated off and on for a number of years, and this was a continuing pattern. So all baseball is saying, hey, we don't, we're not going to tolerate this. Uh, you know, we don't care what was consensual, what wasn't consensual. Uh, you know, we're not, we're not going to put up with it. It's embarrassing for us. Uh, we don't want you know this type of behavior in our sport. 
So I know it'll be a couple years from now before this gets rehashed. It seems like Bauer's career is effectively over as a result of this. And um, it obviously it only takes one team to decide the calculation of, of his worth relative to what is being brought against him. Uh, you wrote that you think that this is kind of making him a pariah throughout the sport. So do you think that that will hold up even years from now? I do. Uh, you know, remember now he's a, he's a pitcher. You, you take a few years off like that. Uh, he's already 31 years old. You know, how much does he have, you know, left? How effective would he be? He was always a polarizing guy anyway in the clubhouse. So it wasn't like some beloved figure like, oh, my God, I can't believe uh, I can't believe this. I mean, a lot of teams, you know, didn't want him. I mean, he, he was traded by Arizona. He was traded by uh, Cleveland. Cincinnati let him walk without a contract offer. So, uh, so I just think his you know, reputation, uh, just more of a uh, – uh, I'm not going to say prior, but just a, a different, different, different dude, you know, with the cameras, everything else. He showed up at the major league union camp, uh, you know, carrying around his uh, video camera. A lot of players kind of walked away from him, you know, that sort of thing. So I think it all comes in effect. And I just think it, you know, for a team to take a chance on him later on, you're still going to have to explain that to your fan base. You're going to have to explain it to your uh, corporate, corporate sponsorship people. So transitioning here at the very end, because I really appreciate the details that you were able to provide on this. And um, for people listening, by the way, you can check out Bob's story with the link in the description to this episode. Also, Um, I'm a Padres fan. I came into this season with with a moderate level of expectation where I was just saying, just just get to the playoffs and I'm okay at this point. So um, obviously, Manny Machado's had an amazing start to the season. Can you give me some sort of a, either a feel good or a reality check on the Padres? Well, yeah, I mean, here we are, you know, on uh, you know, May 6th and they're half a game out of first place without uh, Fernando Tatis. Uh, you know, it shows too what a difference a manager makes, just like we're seeing in New York with Buck Showalter. We're seeing that kind of effect with Bob Melvin, who's as good a manager as there is in the game. Uh, you know, tremendous uh, leader and ultimate respect where, wherever he uh, wherever he's been. So there's no reason the Padres can't hang in there uh, to get Tatis back around the All-Star break or so, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. I mean, outside Machado, uh, Hosmer too, I should say, you know, like no one's, you know, performing uh, above expectations, just kind of to their level. And, uh, you know, Hosmer's been a big surprise. Machado really isn't either. I mean, obviously not going to hit 380 all season. Uh, but certainly, you know, right now, he's probably the leader in the clubhouse for, you know, MVP of the National League. So the two teams that surprised me to start the year were the Mets and the Angels, because there are always teams that I feel like should be better and expectations are weird. I say all the time that I can explain why the Angels are, are never good, shall we say, but I don't understand it. So have both of those teams kind of turned corners into this season? Well, the Mets member did this last year, too. Yeah, they jumped out way ahead of everybody else and then came back to pack and, and, and faded. Difference this time is, is Buck Showalter, you know, tremendous manager, uh, you know, borderline Hall of Fame manager. And uh, he's a winner. He turned franchises around. So they're playing some great baseball. You know, just had the big comeback over the Phillies, seven runs in the ninth inning. Uh, so I, I think they're going to stay around. I still think the division goes through Atlanta. Atlanta's after, you know, usual slow start, so we'll see. Uh, the Angels, uh, let's see. I mean, Houston's still the team to beat. 
the Angels pitching just, you know, is, is good so far. But, you know, we're only one month into the season. Let's see how long uh, that, that can last. Uh, they, to me, I think they, they need some production out of uh, Anthony Rendon to make this work. Uh, you know, he hasn't lived up to expectations, but, you know, by any means. So they need him to stay healthy and uh, be productive in that middle of that lineup. I was surprised when I saw that Boston was six games under 500 because I knew they hadn't been great this year, but I also hadn't been paying close attention to the Red Sox. Um, and then I saw the run differential and it is actually like minus 18, which suggests that these losses are, are partially fair. Now it's a small sample size, so there might be a blowout in there that I don't know about, but um, how do you feel about how Boston has started the season? Well, yeah, very disappointing stories got off to a real slow start. Uh, remember now they don't have a closer. They went in thinking, okay, we can mix and match. Uh, it has not worked. I think they have blown seven games in the uh, ninth inning or later this year. Uh, you know, so you, you got to have a lockdown closer. Those things are heartbreaking. And uh, they easily had the most blown saves of any team in baseball. That's hurting them bad. I think they're going to bring up their uh, young outfield prospect. We'll see who replaces. I mean, maybe this is the end for Jackie Bradley Jr. I'm not sure. Uh, need some more offense. They trade Hunter Renfro, thinking they can be okay without it. And, uh, you know, Renfro has made an impact with the Brewers and you know, the, uh, the Red Sox, you know, miss that production. Uh, you know, they got a few guys in there. They really, they really need story to start stepping up in that outfit. That outfield has been, uh, you know, terrible offensively. Do you know what's going on with the Xander Bogart situation? Cause I saw a story that basically said that he kind of feels like he's out of there at the end of the season at this point. Well, he's got an opt out, you know, he's making $20 million a year. Uh, he signed six years, 120. So this is three years in. And uh, they offered him a, uh, an extra year not to opt out. Said, okay, we'll give him an extra year at, at $30 million. You know, he says, no, look at all these shortstops we're making. So, yeah, they'll talk again in the offseason and, uh, and see what happens. I mean, by them getting Trevor's story, it gives them insurance. Just like when they, the Dodgers trade for uh, Trey Turner a year ago and, you know, and let Corey Seager walk. He didn't think it was worth that kind of money. So at least the Red Sox have a cushion here if they uh, if they don't if they don't talk again. You know, just you know a little bit like in you know Aaron Judge same with the Yankees. He said okay, let's let's talk in the off season. Same thing with Bogarts. Let's talk when the season's over. Does that option make it such that like if the Red Sox stay down, that he wouldn't be a possible trade candidate at the deadline because of the possibility he might opt in? Oh yeah, I mean they could. They uh, if, if they really believe that he's not coming back, uh, if they're completely on the race, I would think he'd be a great trade option. Uh, you know, get some prospects back and, and cut the cord early. So I mean, obviously the franchise got a lot of money. They're still kind of reeling over the whole Mookie Bet situation. Uh, homegrown star. You know, who knows if he's if shortstop's part of his future. You know, maybe he needs to move to a di- different position. Maybe he could flip flop with Story. You can go to second base and have story at shortstop. Uh, but yeah, if they're completely out of it and they think there's no way they can resign them or don't want to resign them, uh, yeah, why not trade them? Bob, thank you again. I really appreciate you coming on this morning. Uh, again, follow him, B Nightingale, on Twitter and check out his work over at USA Today. Thank you again. Sure, my pleasure. Take care. So our main topic for the day concerns, you guessed it, Trevor 
Bauer, Trevor Bauer, the player who we read the MVP machine book on, talking about how he, in collaboration with a few other players, helped be one of the pioneers of the analytics revolution in improving performances of players instead of identifying talent and roster construction the way we talked about Moneyball. I'm starting to think in a joking, in a John Oliver joke off the bat here, I'm starting to think that we have pretty bad luck with reading books about athletes because we have the Deshaun Watson book that has an aged very poorly podcast deep in our archives and we have the Trevor Bauer book also aging really poorly even further into our archives because we find out that part of being someone who doesn't care about what other people think about him and a little bit of white male entitlement equals what happened to Trevor Bauer over the past year culminating on last Friday not this past Friday the Friday before that culminating in Trevor Bauer's basically eradication from Major League Baseball Trevor Bauer is facing a two-year long suspension the longest such suspension under the personal conduct policy in Major League Baseball history, which sounds big, and to, and Bob Nightingale pointed out the fact that it's the largest active player suspension in baseball since the Black Sox scandal. All of it sounds impressive until you point out the fact that Major League Baseball has only had a personal conduct policy for seven years. NHL doesn't even have a personal conduct policy. All these sports leagues begin building out personal conduct policies in the aftermath of the Ray Rice incident that was a stain for the NFL as they tried to get into the morals game, and they've done an okay job since, but they're wholly unqualified to do so, and the way they judge morals is a combination of public perception and just punishment, and in the case of like gambling and PEDs, they've found a way to suspend based on public perception of competitive balance and fairness and all of that stuff that they're unqualified to talk about, but That's a larger macro conversation for another day. What we're going to talk about here today is the Trevor Bauer case, and we're going to again talk about this in the way that we talked about the Deshaun Watson case, which is we're going to create three separate distinct categories here that we are referring to when we talk about this situation. The first is the moral and ethical situations around this story. Second is the legal aspect, and third will be the baseball aspect and the Major League Baseball aspect in terms of them distributing punishment against a famous baseball player, which is a big part of the reason why this is a big story. Because if you Google Felipe Vasquez, former two-time Major League Baseball All-Star, you will find out something that you will find some dark stuff that I didn't even I knew Felipe Vasquez had been kicked out of baseball even I didn't know the extent of this because a famous person keeps it in the news cycle and leads to Major League Baseball handing down the largest personal conduct suspension in the history of North American professional sports I guess Pete Rose kind of technically is above that but Pete Rose was not an active player at that point and it's a totally different case in terms of personal conduct so let's Put the baseball stuff to the side right now. We'll revisit the baseball stuff towards the end. Let's start out with the moral and ethical side of this Trevor Bauer story. Trevor Bauer had originally, back in June of 2021, been accused by a woman of sexual assault during an encounter that, or during multiple sexual encounters that they had in San Diego. And the woman was filing a restraining order against Trevor Bauer. 
and the, the restraining order would ultimately be denied later down the road. So the allegations that this woman brings forth against Trevor Bauer is him choking her unconscious during consensual sex and punching in the genitals, possible sex while unconscious, and threatening messages in the aftermath of the situation. And this was then corroborated later on by another woman who talked to the Washington Post about how Trevor Bauer had had similar types of situations, which was choking until losing consciousness, possible sex while unconscious, which would, I mean, by the definition, you would not be able to give consent while being unconscious, which constitutes possible rape, and um, also punching in the genitals and threatening messages in the aftermath of this case. And this one comes forward in October after Major League Baseball puts Trevor Bauer on administrative leave, which is pretty much the thing that teams have or that leagues have learned over the past few years in terms of moral arbiting in these situations, which is, and by the way, a really effective way to go about it, which is while the legal system turns into a he said, she said situation, or in the case of Deshaun Watson, a he said, she 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 said, all the way down to 22 and more if you include reporting from Jenny Vrentes of Sports Illustrated and now of the New York Times, 22-plus women, 22-plus she-saids along with the he-said. So in the case of Trevor Bauer, you're talking about a he-said, she-said, and then later a he-said, she-said, she-said situation. And baseball decided that while they were conducting their own investigation, Trevor Bauer, you just go away. You cannot show up to games. You cannot put on a Dodgers uniform. You cannot be associated with Major League Baseball. And Trevor Bauer, for a lot of this, continues fighting the case. And he fights, refuses to take plea agreements in different places, cooperate with MLB investigators. At one point in February, he talked about just showing up to Dodger Stadium and putting on a jersey probably against the will of his lawyers. He's tweeting out evidence and, and slut-shaming and character-smearing uh, to the point where you've heard me talk before about this story and call him men's rights activist Trevor Bauer. Because similar, well, not similarly to Deshaun Watson, he's viewing this as a pure extortion attempt. Deshaun Watson's viewing it as nothing ever happened, period. His argument was these were consensual sexual encounters, which then creates the gray line of consent and the morals and ethics of judging people for sexual crimes and sexual preferences. And when there is possible crimes being committed, allegedly here, Trevor Bauer all of a sudden gets the moral and ethical bar of where we draw the line as sports leagues. And a lot of male sports have a lot of male fans, hence the fact that this podcast is 93% men. And a lot of men are doing moral arbiting while having a whole lot of male privilege around this situation. None of us are moral arbiters. We all want institutions to take the decision-making out of our hands to create a more perfect society with accountability measures. In the case of Deshaun Watson, one of the things that I talked about was if I argue that one year of paid leave and an eight-game suspension, which I'm just throwing out numbers that seem reasonable at this point based on where we are, not necessarily what it should be, is just what it seems like the outcome is going to be. When you have one year of paid leave plus another year or another half a season of a suspension for Deshaun Watson, someone else might argue that this is not a large enough punishment for Deshaun Watson. 
And someone might argue this is too extreme of a punishment for Deshaun Watson. We're all at different moral arbiting situations based on how we feel about consequences, whether they're shaped by society or shaped by our our preferences in terms of uh, accountability measures or cancel culture, all of these things that have become hot button topics that are basically just talking about what measure of accountability do we think should be had for moral and ethical breaches that don't quite meet the threshold of the law. Because the law is an incredibly high bar to break. We talked about this in the Deshaun Watson case. And this this is starting to blend between morals and ethics and legal on this point. Is that legalese and legal standards are a much higher bar to cross in terms of crimes being committed. Being able to definitively prove with like unbreakable evidence. Being able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt the legal standard of complicity. There's also a moral and ethical standard of something occurred and it just can't be proven. So what measure of accountability do we find if it's more likely than not that something happened and also can't be proven 100% with certainty? This is where everyone draws individual moral and ethical lines. And like I said at the beginning, none of us are perfect moral arbiters on this situation. Not you, not I, not Major League Baseball. There is no perfect moral arbiting in this situation. What some think is too significant a punishment is too lenient for others. The line I've decided to go to on this is, in the absence of information, it's better to victimize the person who is the perpetrator than it is to re-victimize the victim in the situation. This is where believing women is a really important point when they bring accusations against not just powerful people, but specifically powerful people with lots of money and resources, but just bringing forward accusations against anybody. There should be a belief in women in these situations. And again, just for reference point here, we're talking about this in a heteronormative point of view. So overwhelmingly male assailants against female um, victims. Now there's also male on male intimate partner violence and sexual crimes. There's also female on female intimate partner violence and sexual crimes. We're just talking uh, male on fe- uh, female being the perpetrator to a male victim, as we're seeing in the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case right now. Like there, there are different bars here. I guess I just wanted to point that out that I'm referring to this from a heteronormative standpoint. There's also other types of crimes here, but just for the, the case of Deshaun Watson and Trevor Bauer, focusing on this from a heteronormative male perpetrator against a male perpetrator with power and influence versus a female victim. So you're looking at this situation and it's important to believe victims in this situation, which overwhelmingly means believing women because most of these cases are women victims against male perpetrators, which is the case in this Trevor Bauer case as well. Believing victims when they bring accusations forward against people is an important first step. It's not a perfect step. It's much better than the alternative, which is to dismiss the claims of victims who bring forward possible crimes against powerful people, specifically powerful crimes against men. And so that's the bar that I've learned to evolve with over the years. And Major League Baseball is learning this too, as other sports leagues are, as they try to be moral arbiters over the legal system. Because being a Major League Baseball player and being employed by Major League Baseball and employed by the National Football League is not a right. 
you can have that taken away from you and you sign up when you sign a contract to abide by a personal conduct policy. Sometimes can be vague. Absolutely, it can sometimes be vague. And we have to adjust and adapt as we go along because it's really important to make those adjustments and make those adaptations as we learn more information about how to handle these cases. Because the legal system in America is not equipped to handle these situations. Major corporations are not equipped to handle these situations. And so asking, in my case, 20-year-olds and 25-year-olds to arbit the to be arbiters on morals and ethics in this situation is a near impossible ask. And so we do the best we can. And in order to do the best we can, the important first step is to believe women and believe the victims when they levy accusations against people, especially in high-profile cases like Trevor Bauer and like Deshaun Watson, where you have national media doing reporting around these cases. Which brings us to what happened two Fridays ago, when, as we mentioned with Bob Nightingale, a third woman talked to the Washington Post after having a a four- to five-year-long relationship with Trevor Bauer about how she had similar types of experiences with Trevor Bauer And only when the other women had the courage to come forward and talk about this situation did she feel like, hey, I should probably say something about the experience I had while dating Trevor Bauer. Where, again, there was multiple situations where she was allegedly unconscious and Trevor Bauer engaged in anal sex. Trevor Bauer choked her to unconsciousness where she began seizing up at one point in one of those situations. Um, While Trevor Bauer continued to choke and engage in sex, continued to send threatening messages after the fact, punching in the genitalia, similar situations to what the other two women are describing were also described by her. This is also a situation where she decided that it wasn't, or and, and for whatever the reason may be, wasn't something that was worth terminating the relationship with Trevor Bauer for. And this is the really difficult line to draw in these situations, that everyone has to have their moral and ethical standard. And the thing that I point to is just because something wasn't so egregious that it wasn't a deal breaker for a relationship, because I'm sure she had an emotional investment in that relationship with Trevor Bauer, just because something at the time wasn't worth terminating the relationship doesn't mean it also wasn't possibly criminal. And so this woman apparently talked to not just the Washington Post, but MLB investigators talked to her, I would assume so, as a five-year-long relationship with Bauer from 2013 to 2018. And just and these stories confirm a pattern of behavior, even if it wasn't something that she deemed was worth terminating the relationship at the time it was happening, and she felt wasn't right to come forward with until someone else made it easier for her to talk about her experiences while dating Trevor Bauer. And so this is a situation where all of the evidence suggests a pattern of behavior that breaks a moral and ethical code that deserves some measure of accountability. Because morals and ethics are a lower bar to break than the law. The law is an incredibly high bar for committing some, doing something wrong and being able to prove it without a reasonable doubt. And it's so much easier to think of things in black and white terms. And maybe black and white isn't the best way to phrase it, but it's like crime. If it's not a crime, you are exonerated, which is the thing I asked Bob Nightingale originally, which is going to transition into the legal side now, although it includes parts of morals and ethics, because again, the point I'm about to talk about blends over. 
Let's talk about it from the legal standpoint here. Trevor Bauer and the, the woman from San Diego who filed a restraining order, when the woman did not get the restraining order because there was no reason to believe that Bauer and her would see each other anymore, Bauer was living in Los Angeles, she was living in San Diego, and Bauer had no reason, they had not been in contact with each other for a while. Once that case passed, Trevor Bauer pointed to that as exoneration in the case for his crimes. And that's the way it should be framed, the same way it was framed by not just Adam Schefter, but also Deshaun Watson's camp. It is exoneration because no criminal charges were brought, and you can control the court of public opinion narrative by saying that, A, by putting things in black and white terms, is that not guilty means nothing happened which is not the way that it was phrased when the restraining order was dismissed. It was, there is there, there is something that happened here, we just cannot prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. It's not that nothing happened, it's that we can't prove with 100% certainty that something happened, although we believe more likely than not something happened here. And Trevor Bauer, in this case, was not exonerated he just didn't he was just viewed as not beyond reasonable doubt cuz the bar for filing a restraining order in sexual crimes in California is a high bar to reach and the legal system is not equipped for these things because you have to bring these things forward nearly immediately even in 2020 where we're more vigilant to these things than we were back 15 years ago or at least so i've gotten the impression of in a post me too world we're more vigilant about how we handle these types of crimes Kobe Bryant in 2004 had the woman who he raped bring forth evidence nearly immediately and have the police show up while he was still in Eagle, Colorado and get a recorded documentation of Kobe Bryant essentially confessing to this situation on record the day that it happened. And even still then, while they felt confident they could get a conviction, there wasn't near certainty that they would get a conviction simply because it was Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant had all the resources to fight the case, and the Lakers were flying him back and forth from L.A. to Colorado for his trial. There was all kinds of stuff that was gross and made it impossible for that woman to to fight this case. And even though they thought they were going to get a conviction, she was publicly pressured into dropping the lawsuit because of death threats and public perception of her and the slut-shaming that happened afterwards. She was forced to drop the lawsuit, and they couldn't get a conviction because they didn't get the results to be that they didn't get a they didn't get a verdict to be read in court. So even the furthest step along in the Kobe Bryant case, they still couldn't quite get a conviction. And that doesn't mean that nothing happened. It just means that there was no ability to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And this is the legal situation that's really important to focus in on is the difference between being exonerated and having not enough evidence to convict because the moral and ethical bar changes for everyone else. The legal bar is an incredibly high bar, which, by the way, as it should be, the legal bar should be incredibly high, and you should be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that someone committed a crime because we're talking about taking away people's freedoms in a lot of these situations. The bar should be incredibly high. 
there also needs to be some measure of accountability, which is what civil court is for, like what Deshaun Watson's going through right now, where you can prove just 51% to be the case and you get financial compensation for damages instead of 99% or 100% certainty when talking about uh, passing a criminal case. And you have the accountability of employers to take pers- to take personal conduct stands to prevent people, especially people in incredibly privileged positions, being a pitcher for the Dodgers, being a quarterback for the Houston Texans and now Cleveland Browns. If you create accountability measures for these people, it's going to, one, deter people from committing these crimes in the future because there's real punishment available, and two, it creates some measure of of accountability that the legal system is not equipped to handle in a lot of these situations, especially when the victims don't have infinite resources to fight these cases like the rich and powerful people do, sometimes at the behest of their organizations. Because again, Jerry Buss was paying money to help Kobe Bryant fight his legal trial in Colorado. And so you have incredibly powerful people with infinite resources bringing these things forward, and it's important to talk about the legalese in this situation of just because someone can't be proven beyond a reasonable doubt doesn't mean something didn't happen, and that's what Major League Baseball was investigating. And so that brings us from the legal standpoint and morals and ethics back to Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball decided to handle hand this hand the largest suspension for anything under the personal conduct policy in the seven years that the personal conduct policy has existed. Baseball gave him a two-year suspension that'll probably be reduced at some point, and Trevor Bauer's career will effectively be over the same way that Ray Rice's career was effectively over, and they had to double punish Ray Rice to make it happen and everyone say it wasn't worth it to sign Ray Rice, it's essentially going to end Trevor Bauer's baseball career. Regardless of how long the suspension is, he's going to be out of baseball for nearly three years, and by then it's going to be difficult for anyone to choose to sign Trevor Bauer. Someone might. Not going to say it's not going to happen. Someone might, though. It'll just be years down the road. What's really interesting about this is it sets a really good precedent. The reason it sets a really good precedent, even as some people think that it's probably too much and some people think it's too lenient. Like I said, we're not, none of us are moral arbiters on this situation. What some think is too significant a punishment is, will be too lenient for others. I'm skeptical of the people who think it's too lenient because their reasoning usually falls apart and people who think it's not enough usually have real stories that are able to be empathized with because they have a perspective of some an an empathy for people who are victims in these situations in this case of trevor bauer i think we had adjusted ourselves to the fact that justice wasn't really going to be served in this case and it wasn't going to be enough to prevent trevor bauer from continuing to make the record-setting contract that he had for an extended period of time. And baseball gave an unprecedented suspension. There has never been this significant of a punishment under any personal conduct policy of any sports league. While I think that the precedent was too low before, and this is how precedents shift into a more accurate precedent setting to deter these types of crimes against women, you're seeing that 
this is an unprecedented situation and therefore we can actually learn things that did not exist prior to the Trevor Bauer suspension. We can change our perceptions of personal conduct policies and change our perceptions of crimes against women or intimate partner violence in high-profile positions that, again, reflect society because Major League Baseball ultimately is a corporation, a high-profile corporation, a corporation that also sets precedence for other corporations to follow because it's so high-profile. When you have a high-ranking executive of... I don't know, a, a grocery store corporation, or you have a high-profile case of someone in a bank committing crimes against women or crimes against partners, you're seeing a precedent set for how other people operate, the same way unions are really good for helping set precedent for non-union representatives is seeing what the union wages are and it helps you get a better understanding of kind of what your wages should be like it's a similar type of case here places that have personal conduct policies can look to major league baseball and say there is precedent for termination or there is precedent for suspensions and things of these sorts based on how we evaluate our personal conduct policies and bringing accusations forward against someone criminally or talking about morals and ethics within HR departments of organizations, especially organizations that are not a right but are a privilege. You are employed by someone and you are held to a higher standard than the law in terms of your conduct. You can't just not break laws. You have to be a good person while you are working for someone. Because otherwise, you're going to be a bad person. It's going to be a detriment to the people around you and a detriment to the organization as a whole. And so this is an interesting precedent setting because now perhaps the NFL in another high profile case of Deshaun Watson, where we're talking about 22 women bringing accusations against him, could set an entirely new precedent based on what Trevor Bauer has just done. And I know that's not the best way to serve justice and yet it's working in the right direction and so i'm not going to push against it it's kind of like a jake paul thing where i say like jake paul is freedom fighter for ufc wages and i'm like i don't like my allies in this situation but you are on the right side it's where i'm looking at this like i don't like that baseball is the ally in this situation for the nfl and yet it might point to the fact that we might get an actual measure of accountability for Deshaun Watson beyond the Cleveland Browns renegotiating his contract such that he's not going to get suspended. Or even if he does get suspended, he's not going to get paid on the first year of his deal because he only has like $1 million against the salary cap. And the bulk of his money is going to come in the final four years of his contract. It's a workaround that if the NFL wants to take a stand against it, can prevent. And maybe they might be forced to do so now because of what Major League Baseball has done. Because the one thing you're not hearing about the Trevor Bauer case is a lot of people saying it was too small of a precedent for Trevor Bauer. And that's not to say Trevor Bauer was unfairly punished. It's that people weren't expecting baseball to do the right thing. People were not, were so cynical because of all of the personal conduct mishaps in the past, not just with baseball, but with the NFL and what had just happened with Deshaun Watson and the NBA 
And the NHL, again, not even having a personal conduct policy or Tyreek Hill or Joe Mixon or any of these people. Everyone was so cynical that baseball could have gotten away with it. People would have gotten outraged and they would have been like, well, of course these sports leagues aren't going to do the right thing when it comes to crimes against women. We had become so cynical that we didn't think baseball would do the right thing. And they did in this respect. The ending of Trevor Bauer's career is going to be an unofficial you know, an un, uh, you know an unintended consequence of this situation because he's going to be 33 years old with all of this against him. Everyone doesn't really like him in the first place. It was the right thing to do to give him the two-year suspension plus having to pay plus putting him on paid leave and not feeling the pressure to take him off of paid leave for any reason. Similar to what the NFL did with Adrian Peterson when they put him on administrative leave and just didn't take him off the paid leave list for 15 games in 2015 while they were investigating him abusing his son. You're seeing that there is not a pressure to do the wrong thing because people are screaming for justice or screaming for this rich person and powerful person who's abused women to have his rights to play Major League Baseball when playing Major League Baseball is not a right. Major League Baseball handled this situation incredibly well, and maybe it helped that Trevor Bauer was an asshole, and maybe it helped that Trevor Bauer refused to to cooperate with people in the investigation. Maybe Trevor Bauer putting out texts about slut-shaming the women helped deter public opinion to like wanting Trevor Bauer back at all. Maybe that helped in Major League Baseball's investigation, and at the same time, they did the right thing. I don't know if the suspension is fair or not, but it's going to effectively end Trevor Bauer's career. Maybe he gets to try one more time as a 33-year-old and pitch for a couple more years and everyone boos him, etc. This is going to effectively end Trevor Bauer's career. And the two-plus-year suspension, which the 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 period of investigation doesn't really count as a suspension because Trevor Bauer got paid to do nothing, they paid him $28 million over the past two years. It's not a suspension. It's paid leave. Just like Deshaun Watson. People want to talk about time served for Deshaun Watson while he's in Houston. Deshaun Watson got paid $39 million last year. It's Yes, he loses a year of playing football. So what? That's not enough of a punishment for the types of crimes we're talking about with Deshaun Watson and the sexually predatory behavior. I don't know where the moral bar is. I know it's too low when we're talking about uh, a, a one-year paid leave. And an eight-game suspension might be coming after that. But again, that might not be enough. That's where the moral bar is set here. Everyone's got to have their own moral and ethical bar. If I'm going to yell and complain that it's not enough when someone only gives Ray Rice a two-game suspension or only gives Josh Brown a one-game suspension, gives Roberto Asuna a 70-game suspension, the Astros trade for him, and then Brandon Taubman, their assistant GM, yells at female reporters, we effing told you. Yeah, we can start complaining about that because it's gross and terrible the way that women are treated within male sports and the way that women victims are treated in society when it comes to sexual crimes. It's the way victims are treated in general, but specifically women victims are treated in society. And also, again, this is just a heteronormative standpoint that we're talking about here. Overwhelming number of cases are male perpetrators, female victims. There's also male uh, male victims and female perpetrators, like we're seeing Johnny Depp, Amber Heard, male on male, female on female. These situations exist. I'm I just want to reframe, reemphasize the heteronormative standpoint here. 
Trevor Bauer in this case is going to have, there's some measure of accountability in this situation. And it's where things aren't perfect. They're getting better though. We'll see what the NFL does next when it comes to Deshaun Watson, because the NFL could let Deshaun Watson get away with it. They could suspend him one year and he only loses $4 million and then he still gets to make $230 million quarterbacking the Cleveland Browns. They can let him get away with it if they want to tip their cap and say, you had the leverage. We didn't want the Browns to do it, but the Browns went ahead and traded for you. Congratulations. You played us. You played the system well. Congratulations. They can do that if they want. We'll cover our ass just enough. We'll essentially let you get away with it. Not quite sure exactly where it's going to fall as we go on here. And Trevor Bauer just gives a precedent for sports leagues can do the right thing. Sports leaders can be leaders on moral arbiters that other corporations can look towards and help morally arbitrate similar situations of men being entitled assholes who take advantage of women. You can find that precedent in baseball now. You can find that precedent in other non-publicly facing corporations. And hopefully that will be baseball leading in a high-profile situation to tell Trevor Bauer, you need to be held accountable for your actions. And that accountability just might end your career. And I'm glad that someone finally went ahead and did it because we need to start treating these types of crimes and behaviors, whether it's sexually predatory behavior of Deshaun Watson or the possible crimes being committed by Trevor Bauer, they should be starting to be taken with more uh, more seriousness and more attention than we've done in the past, especially in a post-Me Too world where we recognize just how rampant this stuff was back in the last 50 years, especially in male-dominated industries, which, by the way, in a capitalistic patriarchal society is most industries at this point. But baseball especially is a male-dominated industry, and prof male professional sports are entirely male-dominated industries that don't take women's crimes with the same seriousness or don't take crimes against women or crimes against partners with the same amount of seriousness that they should. We're getting better. And there's also a lot of work to do still. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. And thank you for continuing to support this podcast in all the ways that you do. We'll be back again tomorrow with some of our fun guests for the week. Um, in the meantime, take it easy. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.